Hello, folks. This is Princess. You are listening to the Millennial Mustard Seed Podcast. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to share with your friends. It's tough. We're in a very tough spot. I think that what we're doing right now is of great benefit and virtue because it's an end around between this whole corrupt informational system, media system. We claim to believe in a God who spoke the universe into existence and literally raised himself from the dead. And yet we are not going to believe that anything else exists in the spirit realm, even though his word tells us that they do. Their bodies weren't permitted to go to sleep like humans do. And they weren't permitted to go to heaven. So they wander the earth. You know, I've seen the eyes turn black to unknown tongues being spoken. These giants would live way up in the highlands. The young braves, the young men, would hide up in the trees and wait for one of these 12 footers to come walking down the path, and they would jump on them and kill them, and drag them back to the village, and the village would feast on the body. Then people start to get weapons, they start to get armor, they start to build cities, they start to fortify their cities. Now, God looks down and there's violence everywhere. The battle, this war that we are at, is not against each other. It's against these principalities and these rulers and these archons in the high places. It's really worthwhile to read the Bible yourself. Fear is one of the primary drivers of mind control. Because we have to take every thought captive and resist fear. You're going to have a testimony that is a justice case against the kingdom of darkness. Welcome back to the Millennial Mustard Seed Podcast. I have an excellent episode in store for you guys. I have Dr. Mike Davis here with me, and this is a crazy cool conversation. He's the president lead trainer of the Optimal Performance Group. Mike is a Christian, and he has done some extensive research over the last 20 years, and we dive into a sound mind, renewing the mind, how the, the whole entire breakdown of how much that actually changes our bodies, our lives, the way that we view the world. This is an important one because I know a lot of the times people are dealing with fear, doubt, and let's just be honest, you guys, we haven't always had the best role models in life to teach us how to think or how to deal with any of the things that we go through. And in today's day and age, it's imperative that we slow down and we hear a message like what Mike is going to be bringing to the table. And I want to say real quick, leave me that five-star rating and review. You guys, that really helps the show grow. It helps us reach more people that are like-minded. And don't forget to check the show notes on each episode on whatever platform you're listening on. You can also find the main podcasting platform, Spotify for Podcasters, previously Anchor, webpage if you guys would like to donate through there monthly. Also, you'll be able to see my cash app tag and Venmo if you guys would like to donate that way. Help me grow this podcast. I need your guys' help. 
I wanted to give a real quick shout out to Chuck over at Fire Theft Radio for getting me in contact with Mike Davis. You guys will love his show. Hopefully he'll be on here in the future. I'm really excited for this episode. It's two hours long. Mike literally just does his thing. I jump in and ask questions and he he's just a teacher at heart and information just flows out of him in this episode. But I'm not going to waste any more time. I am ready for this episode. Are you guys ready? Let's go! the show everybody i have an excellent guest here mike welcome to the show and thank you so much for being here happy to be here why don't you just let me and the audience know a little bit of your testimony your background kind of how you found your calling and what you're doing okay i became a christian i'm 57 now i became a christian when i was 14 by reading the book of revelation of all things (laughs) um and it's a long story that I won't get into everything, but my mother had sent me a Bible for my 14th birthday. I was living with my grandmother at the time in, in Illinois. My mother was here in California with my brothers. I was going to join. My mother had moved out here and I was going to join them the following year. And um, I ended up um, reading the Bible one night. Just I was bored, actually. And I was reading through the book of Revelation and God just used it to imprint upon my heart that these things are real. And I ended up uh, accepting him into my life that night, about two o'clock in the morning, all by myself. Um, so I became a Christian and then just had an insatiable desire to start reading the Bible. Nobody told me to do that. It was just, which kind of shows me the, the work of the Holy Spirit that I just had this desire to read the Bible. So I began reading primarily at that time, the book of Matthew. And I just started reading through the back with the book of Matthew became my favorite. I was reading it over and over. Um, and then right after that, I, I had some dreams um, I had read the story of Joseph, and I kind of knew that there were some things going on that God could speak to you through dreams, but I, w- I really wasn't used to any of that. So I I had this dream, and, and make a long story short, the dream I knew was calling me to leadership. I didn't know what type of leadership at the time. Um, I had this dream where I was uh, in the dream. I was in this cavern, which to me, I took to be like hell. And on the other side, and I when I looked down to this this crevice, um, this, this, where just, it was like a, a crevice separating one side from the other. And I saw my friends and teachers and it was like, they were in this fire, this molten lava. And so I, I, we were battling, me and some other people were battling these demons. And, um, I just remember in the dream, I said, uh, something like for the, for the glory of the Lord, for the sake of the Lord. And I leaped across this cabin and there was a sword in my hand. And so um, I started, you know, and the enemy was on the other side. And in the dream, he was like, don't let him get to me. Don't let him get to me. And then I woke up and I was like, what the heck was that? I went and told my teacher the next day about this dream. And my teacher said, well, I don't know if my teacher at the time was a Christian or not, but he said, you're, I, I think this means you're called the leadership. And I was wow. like, yeah, that's, I was like, whoa. So I, I ended up moving here to California when I was 15, I was going, you know, 15 years old, I was praying, I was read, praying, reading my Bible every day. And I just knew that I was called in the ministry. I didn't know what type at first. Um, and so I just kind of thought I was just going to be a Bible teacher. Like I saw on television, I travel around and just teach the Bible. So I started studying the Bible as much as I could, trying to learn as much as I could. Um, and, you know, knew I was called into ministry. Um, 
I would teach Bible studies. I remember we would have we we lived in these apartments um, in Upland, California. I'm, I'm in Southern California, and okay. uh, I uh, we had, we were you know we were in these apartments, and we we would I would pass out tracts to the kids in the apartments. We would bring them over to our home. We would have Bible studies. And we witnessed to and led to the Lord, every kid in that apartment complex, <laughs> you know, I don't know how much of them stay, but, you know, but we, they would come and they would stay. And I would, I knew very little about the Bible. I was watching people on TV and then repeating what I heard them say. And that's how I started. <laughs> and, uh, you know, today I realized that would be called plagiarism, but I didn't know that at the time. I was like, no, I'm just teaching the Bible, but I was doing that. And um, I, I knew I was called. And a friend of mine, she said, you're called the pastor. I went, Oh no, I don't ever want to be a pastor. No, 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 no. That's one thing I didn't want to be. Uh, I said, no, no, no. I just want to travel around and teach the Bible. Um, but years later I did get called into the pastorate. Um, and I, uh, in, in doing all of that, you know, in, a, in the course of time, when I knew I was called at 15, I said, I'm going to seek God. I'm going to prepare for ministry. So I decided, and this was just my decision, but I believe it was, it was the Lord's leading. I decided not to date. I thought, I'm not going to date. Mm. I was 15. I thought, Lord, and for some, something said, you need to get prepared, which I believe is the Holy Spirit. You need to prepare for ministry. So I thought, I'm going to spend my time getting focused on preparing to do, to fulfill my call. So I just, I didn't date. I prayed. I studied. That's my life was that, praying and studying. Wow. So I didn't do any dating at the time. Um, I have to say, praying, praying, studying, and comic books. Those are, those are my three of <laughs> I still like comic books to this day, but um, I, I didn't date. And I just, I, I left it in the hands of the Lord. I said, you know, Lord, what I like, you know, what I don't like, I'll, I'll trust you. And I believe he spoke to me and said, if you let me pick for you, I'll pick for you someone better than you could ever pick for yourself. So this is 15. Fast forward. Um, I'm about uh, getting ready to turn 21. And I meet who was the, the, the lady who was going to be my wife, Karen. She, we met. Um, and we both hit it off. We were friends for about a year. There's a whole story to that, which I won't get into, but, uh, we got, we ended up getting married, uh, three years later. Um, mm -hmm. and so I've been married. We've been, we've been together 37 years. We've been married 34. It'll be 35 this year. So yeah, we've been married <laughs> for a while. Um, but in the, in the midst of that, you know, we did, we started a church and I was, you know, pastoring, we were pastoring and leading people and there were always small mm -hmm. fellowships. And I had been in ministry, like I said, I used to travel, I used to go to New York and minister, and it was wow. kind of fulfilling that dream. I never wanted to be a pastor. I remember the one, one day walking through my bedroom, this is before I got married, and God just dropped in my heart to shepherd a sheep. I had never had a desire for that. And it just, I, I distinctively remember walking uh, mm. into the bedroom, walking across the room, all of a sudden it just like went clink, and I went, yeah. I, I just had this love and concern and care for God's mm. people. And to want to shepherd yeah. them, not just go in, deliver a message and leave, you know? And so um, I knew that's what the Lord had called me to do. And, and, and so we did that for a while. We actually uh, pastored a church called um, our first church was Berean Christian fellowship. Um, mm -hmm. Because in the midst of that, what happened was two things that was significant um, that I, I was involved in a particular, we, I had a charismatic background. I was belonged to a particular group. And I began to see that some of the things we were teaching were not right. Mm. And so I started doing research, you know, and I and I, I had heard a minister on television, uh, a scholar who had said, if you're going to study the Bible, um, especially if you're going to study the New Testament, you need to understand it in its original uh, cultural and historical context. 
And he said, for the Bible, that's first century Judaism. So I thought, okay, so I need to understand something about first century Judaism. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did to do. Someone just brought me water. (laughs) And so um, uh, I I began, I I started, I realized that, okay, if I I need to, I want to understand the Bible, because I saw that some of the theology of what, what I have been taught, I said, this is not solid theology. You know, we need to bet when I, my thinking was we need to be better in our theology. We need to have a better theological foundation. So I started to study something. For the most part, it was trying to prove that what I, what I had been taught was right and mm-hmm. you know, correct some things. The more I studied, the more I saw, oh, man, what, what I've been taught was wrong. This is not right. <laughs> but we made it, you know, my wife and I, we slowly came out of that. And I found a mentor who began mm-hmm. teaching me. Uh, his name was Dr. William Bean, and he became my mentor for the next 25 years in biblical studies. Wow. And he had started a school for pastors who wanted to go back to school and get their degree. So I ended up studying under him for a few years. Then I ended up going and end up getting a PhD from his school, mm. um, a doctorate of theology. And my focus was on understanding the Bible and its cultural context. The degree was a degree in first century Christianity in its Jewish context. So I got my master's in and doctor through him. And um, my focus also was on Paul. I was trying to understand Paul in, in his Jewish context because uh, everybody else was studying Jesus in his context and understanding the, the Jewish roots of the gospel. I was like, what about Paul? So I became, <laughs> I became the Paul guy in our group. And so, I, and so my passion was for Paul. And it still is. I love the apostle Paul. I think he's a, he just phenomenal the way he was used of God. Um, but in the midst of that, at one point, and I need to back up just a little bit. So my wife and I got married. Uh, I was 23. She was 22. We were 12 weeks into our marriage. My wife comes to me and says, I hate being married. I don't want to be married anymore. And I don't, I don't want to have physical intimacy, sex with you anymore. The reason why is because my wife had been severely abused as a child. She had been sexually abused. She had been emotionally abused, physically abused. Um, and so what we didn't know at the time, I'm 23, she's 22. We had, we had no knowledge that she was experiencing PTSD. So, so what she said to me later was she says, when you reached for me, I didn't see your hand. I saw the hand of all the people who abused me. So we had that in our marriage. This is our first year of marriage. It's 12 weeks after, after we had been married. Then I had a fear that I had since, since I was 16 years old and it was growing. It was, and it was a tormenting fear in my mind. It, it had kind of, kind of gotten installed because of something that I was told at a church meeting um, at a prayer meeting. And it opened up the door for the devil to plant this thought in my mind that created fear. And I, w- I had been struggling with this since I was 16. I was now 23 going on 24 and it was growing. And I, and I did everything, Rod, that I knew to do. I prayed, I fasted, I told the people, I rebuked the devil, he wouldn't buke. I bind the devil, I loose the devil, I did everything that I knew to do. And I couldn't get any relief from the fear. So one day, I'm 24 years old, this is about a year into our marriage, we're dealing with this with my wife, she doesn't want to be touched. I would reach for my wife to be intimate, she would just clench up and just draw her hands to herself and just clench up really tight like in a ball. And she, because she didn't want to be touched, she was having PTSD flashbacks, which, which again, I didn't know. And she didn't know what it was. Um, so this was all going on. I went to God and I said, God, you know, number one, I don't, I, I want to be married to her. I don't know what to do. And I got this fear that I'm struggling with. 
And the first thing, so I'm sitting down reading my Bible one day, and that fear is growing. I said, Lord, what do I do? I've done everything I know to do. And that day, I happened to be reading in Romans chapter 12, where it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I'm reading that verse, and the Lord speaks to me through that verse, and I hear, you need to renew your mind. And I said to God, I thought I have been renewing my mind. I've been a Christian for 10 years. I, I pray every day. I read my Bible every day. I thought I have been renewing my mind. That's all I heard was you need to renew your mind. Nothing else was said. So I said, okay, God, if you're saying I need to renew my mind, and I thought I was, evidently I haven't, teach me how to renew my mind. And that began a journey of trying to understand about my mind, about emotions. Um, and that's really how it started because of what I was struggling with and also with what my wife was struggling with. Because, you know, we had that going on with the, the abuse that she was, you know, still dealing with. And she would cry and she would go, it's not you, it's not you. And I would think to myself, it has to be me. I'm the only one here, you know, <laughs> you know, but it wasn't me. It was, it was what she was struggling with. So I was asking God for answers. People have often, often said, well, why didn't you guys go to counseling? And I jokingly, but seriously say, I go, black people don't go to counseling. <laughs> That's said, said something white people do. Black people didn't go to counseling. <laughs> and I, it, but it was also true in the in the black community, there was a stigma for going to counseling. However, that's not why I didn't go. It was it never occurred to me to go to counseling. Mm. It just it wasn't on my radar. Wow. That's not what we did in our community. So I didn't. I, so we I, I did the only thing I knew to do. I prayed. I said, God, what do I do? So little by little, um, and I'm going to share the story. I began learning about the mind. I began learning about emotions. At first, I, I was reading all the Christian books I could read. And I, I hate to say it, they weren't much help <laughs> because <laughs> I was asking God questions about emotions. And most of the Christian literature I was reading mm. at that time, because this is in, uh, we were married in 88. So this is like 89, 90. Most of the Christian literature at that time was like, well, there's not much you can do about your emotions. Um, you just, you got to make the right decisions, seek to think the right thoughts, do the right behaviors, and eventually mm -hmm. your emotions will catch up. So the response towards emotions was one of passivity in terms of the, what I was reading in the Christian literature. I even have a book today in my library where the guy basically says, there's not much you can do about emotions. And this is a famous Christian book on renewing the mind. And he basically says, at least when I mean famous, it was well known. And the guy said, and, and, and by the way, I, I don't, when I say this, I'm not trying to put him down. Everybody, I, I believe now, everybody's doing their best to help people. So his view was, there's not much you can do about your emotion. You provide the form and God will fill it. And by that, he, mean, he meant, hmm. let's say you have a trouble loving. Well, you just act loving, make the decision to act loving, mm. and God will fill your heart with love eventually. And I always like to say, <laughs> the teaching was, God, God will somewhere down the line, your emotions will catch up. We don't know when, we don't know how, but eventually they will catch up. <laughs> that wasn't helping me. I was tormented by this fear. Mm. I would try to do that and the fear would take over. Wow. People would say, well, you got to trust God. You got to do it by faith. I try that and the fear just would be so powerful. And so the more I start learning, wow. um, I started to recognize that we lack wisdom when it came to deal with our emotions. I was starting to study about the mind. I was starting to see things that, and at the same time, I was starting to study the Bible. And I believe this was the plan of God. So while I'm starting to study about the mind and emotions, I'm also studying the Bible and his historical and cultural 
and linguistic context. So I'm going deeper into the scriptures, looking at things in Greek and Hebrew and the culture of the day. What I'm learning, because I had to go, I had to step outside my Christian books. And I, had, I started reading books on psychology. I started reading books on neuroscience, which where I came from, that was kind of a taboo at the time. It's like, no, 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 no. You just stick with the Bible. You stick with Christian books. <laughs> and, and if you went outside of that, it was, it was, it was considered taboo. So I was, yeah. I was reading these things, but I was seeing things and I would go back, oh, wait a minute, this is what I just learned over here about what, what this word heart actually means in Hebrew. And, and this word has mm. to do with the emotions. So it was parallel, paralleling each other. And yeah. I was amazed. And it, I, I, I say it's the grace of God that I was learning these things in parallel. Because I, I have to say, I was scared. I was like, I don't know if this is right or not what I'm studying over here in psychology and stuff. But then I'm reading stuff in my biblical studies, you know, doing more advanced studies, more deeper studies, and they're paralleling each other. And I believe God used that to bring me along. So I started applying what I was learning to myself. Wow. And I can't tell you when it happened. One day I looked up and I realized that fear was gone. It was completely gone. I don't even remember when it left. Mm. I just knew I was no longer tormented in my mind, but it was directly wow. because of what I learned about the emotions and learning how to renew my mind. Then what okay. happened is my wife started, because I started teaching these things in our little fellowship, you know, and just didn't know as much as I knew now, but I was sharing what I knew. People started applying it. Well, my wife started applying it and she started to find freedom. And 37 mm -hmm. years later, you know, um, well, 34 years later in terms of marriage, we're still together. People, you know, because I always jokingly say, people say, well, did you guys ever overcome that? I go, well, we got, you know, three daughters. So yeah, we overcame that, <laughs> you know. Um, I said, but it, it was the grace of God leading us and guiding us step by step. My wife, I always tell people, my wife is my hero because I know what she overcame. I know the obstacles. She used to be depressed every day, almost every day. And she would cry because of what she was feeling. She felt like she was a bad wife. She felt like she was a bad uh, keeper of the house and everything. She just felt horrible, but it was, it was all that stuff. So she started finding freedom. Then friends of mine would come over and, and, and these are people in the ministry and they would go, mm -hmm. man, I'm just struggling with stuff. And what I found, Rod, was a lot of people, even ministers, were secretly struggling with emotions. Like I was struggling, but nobody mm -hmm. knew it. And we were all kind of keeping a front of, oh, we're people of faith and we believe God and we believe his word. But privately, they're they were struggling. So I started, well, one of my friends came over one day and I said, well, and by the way, I was reluctant to share what I knew because again, I was still like, I don't know if this is completely God. I don't know, I'm finding freedom. <laughs> my wife was like, I don't know what you're afraid of. I'm free. I could care less what other people say. She's that way to this day. But I was like, well, I got to make sure that everything is biblical. So I'm, you know, I'm doing my research. And my, one of my friends came over, he was struggling. So I shared something with him. I said, well, try this and see if this works. He comes back about a week, two weeks later. He goes, oh my, he said, man, that set me free. You got anything else? <laughs> you know. And so that little by little, I started sharing with people and people were telling me they were finding freedom. We were teaching that at our church. And I think the real turning point for me came when a friend of mine, who's a pastor, uh, Pastor Willie Estrada, a really good friend of mine, uh, he was pastoring a church at the time called By His Spirit Fellowship. And Willie and I would meet, we would meet on a regular basis for breakfast and we would, you know, keep one another accountable. We would share our frustrations and stuff. And he goes, what are you teaching on? I go, well, I've been doing this series at our church on renewing the mind. He goes, hey, can you come to my church and teach on that? I said, sure. 
So I went to his church and for 13 weeks, I taught on renewing the mind. And the very first night I started, and I'm, and I'm teaching things that a lot of people had never heard of before, because I'm talking about the mind, the emotions, um, neuroscience, you know, and I say, I, I, when I was teaching that, someone said to me, and, and my focus was on how to, how to renew the mind, not just telling people what to do, but telling them how to do it. Because I, that's one thing I always struggle with. I go like, you know, we're always hearing sermons about what we're supposed to do, but we're not really told how to do it. Like, you got to forgive. Well, how do you forgive? You know, you got to love. How do you love? And usually the answer was, well, you trust God. Okay. So then I'd ask, well, how do you trust God so that these things can happen? <laughs> you know, and no one really gave me, any, when, they, when I would hear the answers, it was not a how-to, it was more of what-to. I'm going, that's not a how-to answer. So... I started focusing on how specific steps you could take mm. that would create a change in your mind and your emotions. And what ended up happening was while I was teaching it one night, the very first night I was teaching at my friend's church, one of the guys uh, in the service, I'll never forget his name, his name is Gus, he's still a friend of mine today. And he says, you know, I asked people, I was asking for feedback. Cause at this point I was also a professional, uh, I, I do corporate training for organizations and so one of the things we do is ask for feedback. And I said, does anybody have any questions or anything? And someone said, no, I just got a comment. I said, yeah. He goes, you know, I have to tell you all my life, I've been taught to renew my mind as a Christian. I've been told to renew my mind. This is the first time someone has told me how. And when I heard that at that exact moment, I felt this is what I'm supposed to do. Wow. It was at that moment when he said that I was like, it was like, it was like time kind of froze for just a moment. It's like, this is why you're here the, on earth. This is why you're, and it was, it was, it was a transforming moment wow. for me because I went home that night thinking I have to teach people how to do this. I have to teach more people how to renew their minds. I've got to teach people how to deal with their emotions. So that's what my wife, we ended up starting an organization wow. called uh, the center for Christian training and development. Mm -hmm. um, and our goal is to help people to understand the Bible better in its historical and cultural context, and to teach people how to renew their minds and, and manage their emotions. So that's, in a nutshell, I said a lot there, but that's how we got started. That's powerful, <laughs> man. I was taking a journey with you. You're saying stuff. I had to mute the mic. This is something that I find is not well talked about. And, and even if they talk about it, that step-by-step -step process you're referring to, like, how does that actually translate? Like when we read scripture, perfect love casts out fear. God says all these times in the Old Testament, do not fear, do not be afraid. But yet we have a generation of people yes. riddled in fear. Yeah. And, and one of the things I have in my notes here, just that I wanted to ask you about, because mm -hmm. I had Dr. Laura Sanger on a few different times over the last like year and a half. And I know we did an episode on marriage and she had talked about how her husband, he was taught by his parents. Like when, when you get in these little arguments or like fights or something like that, that he would actually like humble himself. He would pray. And then he would, with a soft touch at the same time, just say like, genuinely, I'm sorry. Yeah. And, and like, there was like this way that he taught her to connect it more than just like, oh, I'm sorry, roll your eyes and walk away. Because the body language was saying, I'm not really sorry. And a lot of the times we mm. pick that stuff up from the world. What does the step-by-step -step process look like to overcome the plethora of different uh, information that we have to read from, but how does it translate into actual process? Mm -hmm. I heard it said by somebody else that if we're in a state of fear, 
right? Like mm-hmm. I think it's the amygdala or they call it the reptilian portion of the brain it is responsible for like the fight or flight. Mm-hmm. And, well, and if we're yeah, that's that, that's what's process. now it's kind of being that's being seen now as kind of the old model of the brain. Matter of oh, fact, this book right here wow. uh, called okay. How Emotions Are Made. It's by Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett. She basically okay. says, yeah, that old model doesn't work anymore. <laughs> oh, wow. wow. However, yeah, we do. We, we construct emotions. Um, uh, th- there's, 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 a, there's a change going on in how we understand how the brain works. Um, but mm. yeah, there, there are parts of the brain where we construct. Uh, wh- one of the things she argues that I've taught for years, she says, we construct our emotions. It's not so much that your emotions get housed in a certain part of your brain. It's that we construct mm. our emotions. Um, and wow. this is actually what I've taught from more of a, not a neuroscientific perspective, but from a more psychological perspective, I would teach people, I said, well, you construct your emotions and we would talk about how emotions are constructed. And if you understand the structure of emotions, once you understand the components that make up your emotional experience, then you can change the components and change your emotional experience. That's deep. That's deep. Now, um, let me say this. What was the question you're going to ask me? Because I interrupted you. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm learning, excited. So I'm this, sorry. <laughs> this is why I have the podcast. We're capturing the, the experience. Um, I had written down that when we are operating in fear over a long period of time, it can actually yeah. lower our immune system, make us more susceptible. Yeah. Like it can like dampen yes. our just natural healthy state. Yeah. And Emotions. That was that was interesting. Yeah, there was a book written years ago called Molecule, Molecules of the Mind by Dr. Candace mm. Pert, uh, the late Dr. Candace Pert. She's passed on. One of the things that she said is that emotions are the nexus between mind and body. In other words, what wow. connects mind and body is emotion. And so one of the reasons people say, well, what mm. you think can, in, can impact your body, but not without emotion. And so <sighs> when you think a certain way and you're feeling certain emotions, it's going to impact your body. There was a study done by Dr. Uh, Barbara Fredrickson, Dr. Barbara Fredrickson. Okay. She, she's a, a psychologist, um, and she won an, an award called the Templeton Prize for the, her broad and built theory of emotion. And you can look this all up. Um, she was the first one who did research and actually did the study to show that when you are in certain emotional states, it will impact your thinking. It can impact your body. It can cause you to, when you're, when you're in what we call negative, I don't normally use this term, but when you're in negative emotional states, like fear, okay, mm-hmm. it can cause your, uh, your awareness to constrict. You don't have access to all of your resources. We do wow. know that st- stress, which fear, anger, all those things can be, come under stress. It can suppress your immune system because when you're in those emotional states, it's releasing certain neurochemicals into your body like cortisol, co- cortisol. Um, which if you got too much of that released, it can dampen your immune system. Um, you see the book behind me? It's deep. Uh, yes. There's a book here called Emotional Success. It's written by another doctor, yeah. Dr. David Destano. He talks about um, doing, doing things with what they call grit or pure willpower mm. versus doing them with the right emotion. Um, and what he saw that, he cites a study where and this goes to your, your point again, or your question, where they looked at African-American children in low-income neighborhoods who were working hard educational-wise. They were studying, they were pushing themselves. They did well in school, but it was causing deterioration, the stress was causing deterioration of their cells. So what you were saying is right. Wow. It, it has been shown that, hey, certain emotional states, if you stay in them long-term, 
what we call negative emotions that are, that we normally call negative emotions. Um, there's a reason I refer to the emotions as negative. We can get into that. But if you experience them over time consistently, it can start to impact your um, your your DNA. It can start impacting wow. your how you know your immune system. It can suppress your immune system. So stress can make you sick. Stress can literally make you sick. Um, anger it can impact the heart and everything else. And they're also saying where the reverse is true. Gratitude can strengthen the immune system. You know, so when we see things, you know, so gratitude, happiness, joy, what we call the positive emotions, uh, those can have a nurturing effect upon your 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 physical well-being as well as your mental well-being. I got, all right. So my, my mind's doing a lot of really awesome things right now as I'm listening <laughs> to you. I like this a lot. And, and jump this, in and stop me at any time because I'll just start rolling. <laughs> it's like there's no clarity of choice when we're operating in fear. Right. If the if it's a fearful yeah. mindset, there's no clarity of choice. It's it is restricting. Like like even yeah. as I was listening to you say that, I'm like, yeah. If we're fearful, it's very restricting. We don't right. see like, well, hold on, let me slow down and think this through. And oh well, this is what's going on here. And if I'm feeling fearful, maybe I need to reevaluate and, and actually mm -hmm. see what level of severity I should move forward. Right. Yeah. But that takes a sound mind. And I yeah. believe that that comes from God. And so it, it well, it takes a sound mind, which I, yes. I I do believe is a gift of God. And yeah. it along with that, it takes training. There's a verse of scripture yes. in First Timothy, I believe it's First Timothy chapter four, verse eight, where uh, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy and he says, um, uh, uh, basically, it's like physical exercise profits for a little while. Yeah, but but godliness, you know, and what he says is exercise yourself rather unto godliness. The word in Greek for exercise, gumnazo, is literally train yourself Repetitive in godliness. Training, like, yeah. Yes. And the word for train in Greek refers to the training of the mind and body. Wow. So as believers, I, I read a book a long time ago. I believe it was by John Ortberg. I don't remember the name of it. But he said that, he said that, that uh, as Christians, what we need to do, and I so love this quote, he says, so often we try so hard to be better Christians. He says, we mm -hmm. don't need to try harder. We need to train better. Wow. And so a lot of reasons, one of the reasons that we struggle so much is that we do not train our mind and emotions. One of the, when I, when I went, uh, when I was um, the, my friend that I told you about, Dr. Uh, I mean, uh, Pastor Willie Estrada, I ended up becoming mm -hmm. an assistant pastor at his church for about, uh, we went there for about seven years. And while I was there, I became an assistant pastor. And I did a message one Sunday called how to train your emotions. Mm. And, and I think, see, do I have it right here? I used to have it sitting on my, no, I don't have it. it it's somewhere on my desk here, but I, I have the original tape from that. And it was probably from years ago. Like my, my oldest daughter is 29, almost 30. She was, I think she was like nine when I did that message. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I still have the original, to let you know how long ago it was, it's on cassette tape. Okay, that's oh, how long wow. it was. <laughs> but I did that message on how to train and I showed them, I said, your emotions can be trained. Now I was saying this at a time where most people didn't think that way about their emotions and they didn't believe it. But I showed from scripture, I said, you, mm -hmm. we can train our emotions. And I also wow. was quoting the scientific literature. And I said, listen, we can train 
our emotions. So a lot of what we are find difficult is because we are untrained. You know, it's like going out there and saying, well, my, like um, my wife once did a, a marathon. She ran a, she did a 26 mile marathon. Mm-hmm. And she, wow. and the way she did it was she ran and walked it, ran and walked it, but she completed it, but she had to train for it. If she would have went out there the day of the marathon and said, I'm going to do 26 miles, she wouldn't have made it a mile. In order to do the marathon, she had to train. Mm-hmm. So many of us are, are seeking to live good Christian lives and we don't train for it. Can, can I give you one more quote? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's this sports psychologist. He used to be... Um, uh, he, well, he was an Olympic uh, trainer and psychologist. His name is Jim Lohr. And okay. um, he, he had trained Olympic athletes. He became a coach, an executive coach for uh, business executives. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he wrote something in Harvard Business Review that I read years ago. And he said, I noticed something. Mm-hmm. He says, I'm working with these executives in their offices. He said, I noticed there's a difference between the executives and the Olympic athletes. He said, an Olympic athlete will spend years in practice and preparation for just a few moments of performance. Hmm. Think about it. I've had friends who, I had two friends who who were training for the Olympics. I know that's true. They spend years in practice, years in preparation for just a few few moments, a few minutes of performance. He said, but I noticed the business executives spend all their time in performance and very little to no time in practice and preparation. And when I heard that, I immediately thought of members of the body of Christ. And I said, we spend the majority of our time in performance as believers, very little time in practice and preparation. And so this is why I talk about training, training your emotions. I believe like biblical things that we're called to do, like to meditate upon God's word, that's preparation. But then it's like, well, how do you meditate upon God's word? What's involved in meditation? What are the different types of biblical meditation? I'm talking about biblical Mm. meditation. And these Mm -hmm. are things I started studying over the years, started looking at all the different words that are used, words like Haggad, words like Chashabed, Chashav, all of these different words that deal with the mind. And can deal with, they deal with meditation and they have to do with the mind and emotions. And I was never taught these things. So in, in our training and in our teaching, we talk about these things a lot. And the church I pastor, which is now called the Oasis, uh, they hear a lot about emotions. Because every so often I'll just do a whole series. And, and I'll say this one other thing, and you can ask me any other question. When the pandemic happened, wow. there was a lot of fear. Yes. A lot of anxiety. Yes. I work as a coach. Um, I have branded myself as an emotional success coach. And Mm -hmm. I got a lot of calls when the pandemic hit. My book was filled. My schedule was filled because people were in such fear, such anxiety. Mm -hmm. The people of our fellowship, though, um, you know, we couldn't we couldn't meet live. We'd actually before the pandemic happened, the place where we were renting, we ended up not being able to use it again. So when the pandemic happened, it's like, well, nobody's meeting now. And uh, so we started meeting online. And mm. one of the things that really blessed my heart, because we were, t- we were encouraging everyone, don't be ruled by fear. You know, pray, seek God, talk with your doctors, make wise decisions. This is what we're telling everyone. One of the people on our, from our fellowship who's online, she, she spoke up. She says, Pastor Mike, they call me Pastor Mike. She said, I have to tell you, though, and everybody starts saying, yeah, this is really true. They said, 
all that you've taught us about dealing with our emotion has prepared us for this so that we're not in fear. It's because of what you and Pastor Karen, what you guys have taught us, we are not in fear. That so blessed me. I had no idea they were wow. going to say that. So they were saying, thank you for all that you've taught us about dealing with our emotions. That blessed me tremendously. All of that training leading up to those moments of making right. a choice. Right, exactly. Oh, that's deep, that's deep. So it, as you were talking, one of the things that, that I was trying to hold on to, because I'm taking the journey with you, man, I'm feeling <laughs> what you said, like, this is so important for me personally, and I know it's going to affect other people. There's there's a scripture where God says, um, without faith, we cannot please him. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we think of the word pleasing, like, like that's, um, it's appealing or satisfying, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you see... God's emotion is heart towards us when we're in faith. So like, just like how many people read that verse? Oh, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But what you're doing and talking about and and God has led you to in your life is helping to deepen the connection and the the understanding Mm -hmm. because we would, I would just read over that in my earlier days. I'm like, Oh, okay. So he's like happy or something. He's going to smile, but, but it's so much more than that. And, mm-hmm. and with the scripture, it's always kind of like that in the mm-hmm. Bible. Like you just keep right. going in. You're like, I could spend the rest of my life doing this and I'm not going <laughs> to find an end to it, right? It's uh, working this all together for for our good, uh, for his plans. It's just, that's yeah. just amazing. Um, you just have so much flowing out of you. Just um, seeing your face and hearing you talk, it reminds me of like that river of water that flows out of us it's like something's boiling up in you and you're like i can't hold this back here's another one here's another one and that's the difference between talent or anointing right yeah like, well that and that's, that's what i said if i if i go too long just interrupt me and you know tell me mike 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 mike, mike slow down <laughs> It's so important. Like the first time I have someone in the show, I want them to just share their testimony and just share their heart. And yeah. then, you know, we'll have you down in the future and try to narrow in some some topics that that are relevant to what the body of Christ and just listeners around the world are dealing with. But yeah, um, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. OK, because that is something that I struggle with and that, you know, coming from very uh, outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, very secular the way that we grew up. I mean, I got mm-hmm. At 15, you were talking about, okay, God, I'm going to not date and prepare. I, I got my first tattoo when I was 15. I'm not happy to say that, but it's just like the way that we grew up. And, and yeah. you know, there was a lot of trauma and there was, you know, I went to a big school. There was a lot of diversity of things to get caught up in and wrapped up in. So I, I would say to people, I'm just doing what I was taught. Right. And then breaking that, I had a near death encounter at like mm. 19 years old. I got jumped by a bunch of guys and had a minor out of body experience. And that launched me into now questioning everything because now I'm wow. going, everything's under interrogation because nobody is talking about what I experienced. And that was kind of my shock into I've got it all wrong. Not that I had anything right, but it was the reality check of there's something so much more and I don't know anything about that. Well, long story short, yeah, at like 24, I give my heart to Christ and it's been a rocky process. So I'm mm-hmm. happy that you're here to, to, to help me make sense and, and to make the connection as well as the listeners get into renewing of the mind, share with us like 
what, what some of that process look like for you and advice of how we make that a reality. How do we give the right training and effort to get the result of healing from these traumas? I mean, I still deal with PTSD. How do we renew our mind in these areas that affect us so right. deeply? Yeah. Well, so part of it is, um, like I said, it's, it's the know-how. It's knowing what, it's not only knowing what to do, but how to do it, which the biblical term for that is wisdom. Wisdom is skill. Mm. One, one of the definitions of wisdom is skill. It is how to. And what I, when I started studying all this, the thing that I said was one of the things that we have lacked is wisdom. We've lacked how to do something. We've lacked the skill. Mm. And a lot of it is within the biblical text. And um, one of the things that I experienced um, one year, uh, and, and I tell these stories to, to show that God was really involved. So one year, this is when I'm early on in my studies of trying to figure out how to renew the mind and stuff. I'm reading this book called Christian Perspectives on Being Human. And it's, it's, it's a kind of like an anthology. It's got a lot of different scholars and, and you know, they had neuroscientists, they had a psychologist, they had a theologian, and they're writing about being human. They're writing about how, uh, how and well, one guy had a, a chapter on there uh, that it wasn't about renewing the mind, but he talked about that extensively in, in that chapter. And he talked about how change needs to occur, not just intellectually, but also emotionally. You know, not just intellectually, not just volitionally, not just what you think, not just what you uh, decide, but also what you feel. And he says, without all three, there's not a true renewing of the mind. And I had come to that conclusion from what I was saying. I went, no, this is really true. Because when the Bible says be transformed by the renewing of the mind, most people take that as just intellectually, that you think new thoughts. But if you look up the word mind in Greek, um, you can use something as simple as a Strong's Concordance. It'll say the mind and intellect, will, and feeling. The mind is composed of all three of those. And when I remember when I first learned it, I went, no, that can't be right. <laughs> Because I was always told there's not much you can do about your feelings and emotions. And so your emotions didn't really count. They weren't part of the process of renewing the mind. Here I'm reading, this is actually what the word means in Greek. So I, I struggled with that, but I kept doing research and my studies in Greek and in Hebrew, you know, uh, learning to look up words and do, and do studies in the original languages. Um, it began to bear this out. And I went, whoa. So I'm reading this guy's book and he says, that it takes all three for there to, to, to truly affect a renewing of the mind. And then he says, this is why we're told to meditate upon scripture. Because it, it, And the idea was because it'll affect all three. And when I read that, again, I believe the word spoke to my heart and it's been borne out now over the years. I heard the Bible is structured in such a way as to touch and transform not only your intellect, but also your emotions. And I heard that, and I believe it was from the Lord. And I said, and I said to the Lord, what do you mean the Bible is structured in such a way? What does that mean? But again, it was all I heard, but I knew that meant I needed to start studying. So I started studying the structure of scripture. How are, how are the scriptures constructed? And I began, to, it, it took many years, little by little. I first started studying the Psalms, which are, which are filled with emotions. And I started studying other things. Long story short, I began to find out, I began to study at one, at one point what's called the rhetorical, uh, the, what we could call it the rhetorical structure of scripture, that scriptures are written um, in such a way as that they are to, they seek to affect a change 
not only in your thinking, but also in how you feel. That the way the Apostle Paul wrote, the way that the Apostle Peter wrote, they wrote utilizing certain structures and styles and what's known as devices in order to affect certain responses from the people. And when I started to realize this, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what the word spoke to me. And so one of the things I started looking at was, um, well, how, how are these things written? And I started to realize the writers of scripture are making use of emotion to effect change. This is what we're normally not taught. We are taught that emotions, we, we're normally taught emotions are merely the byproduct of changing your thinking. What I began to see in my research, and, I, and this has been borne out in also the sciences, neuroscience, uh, psychological research, is not only can thought change emotion, but emotion can change thought. And so what I, so what I began to see was that we're always focusing on just trying to change it at the cognitive or, to, or the, at the intellectual level. I said, what if we started first seeking to create change at the emotional level? It'll automatically create a change at the intellectual level. So rather than just always thought needs to change emotion, I start saying emotion can change thought. Now, I was saying this, and, and, and it's not any glory to me. It was just what my research was showing. But at first, people were like, no. <laughs> you know, and sometimes I still get people going, no. I go, no, no. There's a whole field of, of therapy called emotion-focused therapy, where they use emotion to change emotion. And so one of the reasons it is often so wow. difficult and reason people struggle is because they are trying to deal with emotional issues only from a cognitive level. And I, I tell people this, I said, here's the thing. When you're in, when, when it, when, if there's a battle between your intellect and your emotions, the majority of the time, your emotions are going to win. Mm -hmm. They will overpower what, this is why people struggle with porn addiction. This is why people struggle with sometimes with anger, with fear. Remember, I was telling you before, I had the fear and I would try to be logical about it. I'm going to apply my faith and that fear would come up and it would be like, well, that, forget that. It, but it was learning how to utilize emotion to change emotion. It doesn't, it doesn't take away the intellectual or the cognitive. It, was still, it still can work with it. But I've, I've had friends sometimes who've had some psychological training. And they'll go, well, Mike, no, you, you always have to you always have to have thought to change emotion. I go, no, that's not true. First of all, you can eat certain foods and it will change your emotional state. Yes. Independent of thought. Certain foods will change your mood. You eat too much sugar, it will change your mood. And you can think, yes. you, you can eat too much sugar, you, call it, you have a crash. And no matter how positive you may think, you still gonna feel horrible because of that, of the sugar that you've eaten. You can change, yep. your, you can change your physiology or your posture. You can breathe different. And I've done this hundreds if not thousands of time now where i've like i, I did a, a a training at a, a major mm. uh car manufacturing industry i won't say the name mm. but it was if i said it everybody would know it and i was working mm. with the executives and we were and i was teaching them which now the field is called emotional intelligence i was teaching them emotional mm. intelligence skills and one of the things i showed them was how to change their emotional state simply by changing their physiology, changing the way they were breathing, changing the way they were standing. So I had them think about a problem. I said, think about a, I said, think about a problem or frustration that you're dealing with. And I had, them self, I had them put themselves in a posture of feeling down or depressed or discouraged. 
Just the posture of it. I said, breathe the way you breathe when you're discouraged. Sit the way you sit when you're discouraged or depressed. I said, how does your, how was your, I had them put themselves, I said, now, as you think about that problem, think about that problem now, as you put your body in that position, I said, how does that problem seem to you? And everybody's like, oh, impossible to solve. There's no way. This is, this is hopeless. I said, okay. I had everybody stand up. I said, shake yourself. I said, now, I want you to stand like you're a superhero. I said, stand up, lift your chest, put your arms on the side. I said, men like you're Superman, women like you're Wonder Woman. I said, look up. And I said, I want you to think about that problem. And as you do, I want you to laugh, a nice hearty laugh. <laughs> and they did that. I had them do it several times. I said, now, when you think about that problem wow. now, I said, how, how does that problem seem? They like, I can handle this. I can deal with this. The only thing that changed was their emotion. And we changed it not by having them think positive, I just had them change their physiology. I had them change the way they were breathing. Okay. So, all right, hold on. I'm, I, I got to ask a quick question so I don't lose right. this one. Do, do you think that's why, like, it, it made me think of yoga? Because, I, I, right, people mm -hmm. ask me all the time. It's funny, just over the last like, couple of weeks, I had people reach out to me, listeners and friends and family, a few of them, and ask me what my thoughts were on yoga. And I'm like, mm -hmm. yo. I'm like, if you want to stretch, stretch, right. <laughs> like if you want to breathe or, I, but I said, because there's something to it now. Now, the reason that my brain jumped is just because you were just like making the point of like, Hey, when we, we posture ourselves a certain way, it, it affects the emotion. Like mm -hmm. it's that, that is so strange to me. Do you think the enemy tries to use and compartmentalize these from what I know of yoga and its traditional mm -hmm. format, you're posing and you're literally opening yourself up to, well, you're clearing yourself and opening yourself up to demonic entities, which they have a right. plethora of names for, to move through you from posture and movements. And, and like, that's... I, I don't what, necessarily what think it's saying. so... Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily so much just by posture. And the reason I, I get that question too, and I, and I, and okay, I try okay. to answer it as balanced and as honest as I can. I said, if that's the case, that it's, if it's solely posture that you open up, I said, I said, the, because the idea is, well, they do that stretch in yoga. If you do that stretch, you're going to open yourself up to the enemy. I go, well, that's like saying that they yawn and you yawn. You're going to open up yourself. I go, <laughs> sure. it doesn't work that way. I said, there's also beliefs that you need to take in. Yes. However, yes. and so there are certain things that are taught within the belief system that I would go, mm -hmm. no, those don't, those do not track with what we believe as Christians. And those can open you up. Beliefs can open you up to things. Yes. Um, I said, but doing simple stretches, I said, here's the thing I always say. I said, you, you got to keep in mind, the enemy is not a creator or of anything. Yes. He is a distorter of things. And this is what, yes. because I had people, when I first started studying this thing, and I was, and I, like I said, I had to go outside the Christian books that I was reading, even by Christian mm -hmm. therapists, because I, it was limited. And I started studying other things and people are like, oh no, you know that you're going to, again, it was like, you're going to open yourself up to the enemy. So I was scared, <laughs> you know, because I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to open myself or my family up to anything. So I was taking my time doing a lot of research. But the thing about it is what I realized is this. The enemy would take and twist, the enemy would take what God created and twist it. And the Lord taught mm -hmm. me that through Romans chapter one, where Paul talks about God revealed himself. One of the ways he has revealed himself is through creation. Yes. But if you go and you read the, the whole passage, what does it says they do? It says when they, when they saw him as God, they did not acknowledge him as God, but they began to worship the creation 
rather than the creator. Mm. And they began to worship the sun, the moon, and the stars. They began to take trees and make idols. So they took what God created that reflects God's glory. They saw the glory of creation, thinking it was Mm. the glory of other gods, and they twisted creation from what it was intended to be, which was to reflect back to the glory of our God. So I look at that and I go, how many other things does the enemy take and twist? I believe our job, we're supposed to be a light. (laughs) Yeah, we're supposed to be a light shining into the darkness and saying, Mm. hey, this is the original intention for why Mm. this exists. So God's created our physical being and our minds to work a certain way. Not everybody that I have learned from is a Christian because Christians didn't know what I was studying at the time. And so Mm -hmm. I had to go outside, but I was very careful, always stayed biblical. If I thought something was unbiblical, I said, nope, can't go with that. It's not biblical. Um, But what I began to see was, wait a minute, this is not so much about, oh, is this person a Christian? I said, they're they're discovering things about how the human brain and mind works. And the way, if it's truly, this is how it works, Mm. it's God that created that. You know, mm-hmm. so like I remember when I was growing up um, as as wow. a young Christian, and in, in, in my early twenties, one of the biggest books around at the time was called um, "Seduction of Christianity" uh, hmm. by Dave Hunt. That book had so many Christians scared, and one of the things that it had us scared about was psychology. It's like, nope, stay away from psychology. It's not of God. There have been Christian ministers, one famous who lives here in Southern California, who says a Christian should not go to psychologists because the word psyche comes from the word suke, which has to do with the soul. And God is the one who made the soul. So you can't go to secular people. Only You only need the Bible. You need Jesus. That type of stuff was keeping me in bondage and, keep, and has kept a lot of other people in bondage. And I know because I've worked with them because they had that thinking. And while there are things that are said that are, that are wrong... There are also things said that are right. So that's when I say we need to bring the truth and the spirit of truth into these things and begin looking at it and say, what's twisted that we need to untwist? Mm. So when I teach on renewing the mind, I talk a lot about renewing the mind. But you know what the foundation of it is? Because so for me, renewing the mind is about bringing your mind, your will, and your emotions into alignment with what God has done for you in Christ and what God is doing for you in Christ. So that to me, biblically, is renewing the mind, is getting your mind, your will, and your emotions. And I could, we could talk about the scriptures that point to that and say and, and state that or, or, or show that. Um, but it's getting it into agreement, into harmony, into alignment with what God is working within you. So the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 mm-hmm. and 13, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And That's trembling. verse 12. Verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So God works in us both to will and to do. The word will is a term that has to do with emotion, has to do with feeling and desire. He works in us godly desires. but But the first part of the verse, verse 12 says, we have to work out, which means we have to carry out what God yes. is doing within. And that's Dude. the renewing of the mind process. So yes. my point in saying wow. that is the, the more we understand how the mind works, the more we understand how the brain works, and we can, we can utilize that in a godly way 
to bring our mind, our will, and our emotions into alignment with what God is doing with us in Christ. So when I teach it, that's what I'm saying. I tell people all the time, I say, look, God's working in you both to willing to do of his good pleasure. God is doing his part. You don't ever have to worry about, worry about that. You've got to do your part. And this goes back again. I don't want to forget your original question. It's like, how? That's the thing. You have to learn how. You've got to learn what I call strategies. So you need to learn strategies. Um, like, like the Bible says, the Bible tells us things like put off the old man. Okay. The Bible says, put off anger, wrath, put off lust, right? How do you put it off? (laughs) Putting Christ on? (laughs) Well, here's the thing that's really interesting. In the scriptures, we see a consistent pattern of before you put something on, you must first put something off. That is consistent. Ephesians Mm. chapter four says, you've put off the old man, put on the new man. Colossians chapter three tells us, put off the old man, put on the new man. You know, the Bible tells us, put on the Lord Jesus Christ to make no provision for the flesh. When when Israel went into the promised land to possess the land, and God told them, you're going to possess the land. If you look up the word for possess in, in Hebrew, it means to possess by first dispossessing the inhabitants of the land what so you oh so there's this gosh. there's this constant thing of before you can possess something or put it on you need to put it off now and so we we teach skills how do you do that how do wow. you put things off and, and and the idea of it it's it's a way of well i won't get into it we call it detached skills how do you detach from an emotional state that's getting in your way that's tripping that's you important up? We show people how to do that, but we also show them how do you step into emotional states that can support you. Um, because one of the things that I teach is that your emotions are not meant to be your enemies. They are meant to be your allies in the service of God. God did not give your emotions to you, but to be your, your enemies, but your allies. What we have to learn to do, which is part of what hmm. is taught in emotional intelligence, and I teach it also, is that you've got to learn how to respond wisely to your emotions. And we've not been taught how to respond wisely. We've been taught to suppress them. We've been taught to ignore them. We've been taught to repress them. Or we've been taught to indulge them, none of which are good. What most Christians practice is emotional constraint. We practice emotional constraint, which is not bad. But if Mm -hmm. that's the only strategy you have, it becomes tiring. Emotional constraint is when somebody says something to you and you think, I could slap them, but I'm a Christian, so I'm not going to do it. Turn the other cheeks, right? But you hold on and it's like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. So you don't. That's great. But if it's the only strategy you have, emotional constraint, which is based upon willpower, and there are studies that have been done that willpower after a while gives out. Um, And so people mostly, when I was dealing with that fear, I was practicing or trying to practice emotional constraint and it wasn't working. After a while, emotional strength gets tiring. So people who struggle with addictions, like porn addiction, they, they try to strain. I've worked in the past um, with, with some men. Uh, I had a partner that I was working with. We did some work at a church with men who were struggling with porn. We showed them some things. I've worked with them. And one of the things like, and I'm not against what I'm getting ready to say, but I think it's not enough. So often men will be told, you need to put blockers on your computer, you need to give your passwords to your wife or to someone else. You need to be accountable. And I used to look at that and I would go, okay, those are good. But once that, I call it the urge. I said, once that urge hits, 
you will find your way around every single one of those things. And every guy, one guy in particular that I work with, he said, Mike, that's so true. He said, my wife would put, he was struggling with porn at one point. He said, my wife would put, um, she would put uh, blockers on the computer to block me from going to different sites. Only she had the password. He said, I would find a way around it every single time. Mm. So my point here is to say, not mm. don't do those things. My point is what we need to teach people to do is how to renew their minds, change their emotions, how to detach from that urge when mm. it hits them. And, and this is the thing that most people don't realize, how, to, how you direct your emotions towards that which is godly. Emotions wow. are part of the walking in the spirit process. I teach that. People are like, what? I go, yeah, your emotions are involved in walking in the spirit. They go, I was always taught that your emotions had nothing to do with walking in the spirit. I go, yeah, I know that's wrong. Your emotions <laughs> have everything. <laughs> can, I, can I share with you one quick thing? To show that, yeah, yeah, Romans chapter eight, one of my favorite passages, mm. the apostle Paul says, he writes in Romans chapter eight, for they who are after the flesh, mind the things of the flesh, but they who are after the spirit, mind the, the things of the spirit. So the word mind in Greek, the Greek word, it comes from the Greek word phreneo. This mm. word means to direct, if you look it up, it means to direct to mind means to direct the intellect, the will, and the affections or the emotions towards something. You wow. align it with something. So to mind the things of the, the flesh means you're directing your intellect. And the way it's written in Greek is what's called the active voice in Greek, which means the subject of the sentence is performing the action. Mm. So when it says... For they who are after the flesh bind the things of the flesh. The subject of the sentence are, are as they who, they who are after the flesh. That means you are directing your intellect, your will, and your emotions towards what is of the flesh. It, it gets into alignment with what is of the flesh. But the same thing is said of what, those who are after the spirit mind the things of the spirit. So when you're walking in the spirit, it's because you are directing your intellect, your will, and your emotions towards what is of the spirit and that's what god is working in us 24 7 to do that we direct our intellect he doesn't do it i tell people i say he doesn't do it for you he empowers you to do it he would do it with you but he won't do it for you you've got to direct wow. your intellect will and emotions towards what is of the spirit that's how you walk in the spirit galatians chapter 5 verse 25 says if we live in the spirit let us also walk in the spirit or walk yeah. by the spirit. The word walk by in Greek is a word that means to walk in alignment with or to keep in step with. So people who are walking in the spirit are keeping in step. It's like soldiers when they're marching and they're in step with each other. Mm -hmm. people who are, yeah, they're, they're, they're staying in step, they're in harmony. When we're walking in the spirit, we're in harmony with the spirit. Well, how do we get in harmony with the spirit? Romans 8 tells us you got to direct your intellect, will, and emotions, which is also part of the renewing of the wow. mind. When you direct your, your intellect, wow. will, and the emotions consistently, and the way it's written in Greek, it's the idea of you do this consistently. It's not just one time. Um, you do it consistently. Then it says you become, if you direct your intellect, will, and emotions consistently towards what is of the flesh, you become carnally minded. The word there yeah. is, it's the, it's the result of minding the things of the spirit. So you will develop a disposition of carnal mindedness. But... If you continually direct your intellect, will, and emotions towards the things of the spirit, you will become spiritually minded. 
which means you would develop a disposition in your intellectual will and your emotions towards the things of the spirit. And what I tell people is you do not have a carnal set of emotions and a spiritual mm. set of emotions. You have one set of wow. emotions, but where you direct them either towards the flesh or mm. towards the spirit determines if they're carnal or spiritual. Woo. That, so your emotions are involved in walking in the spirit. Your emotions are involved in walking in the spirit. Your whole being, I should say, is involved in walking in the spirit. We've compartmentalized it and said, well, no, your emotions are not involved. No, the Bible says present your whole body. The, the, the biblical mm. view of man is that we are a dynamic whole. We're not set. I know people talk about spirit, soul, and body. But if you look at the way Paul said that, he said, I pray God sanctify your whole spirit, soul, and body. We're a dynamic unity. Mm. And so your whole being is involved in walking in the spirit, not just one aspect of you. So that uh, I asked you about like, you know, fear and does that lead to lowering the immune system? And we kind of mm -hmm. you kind of broke that down and helped me to understand what that would look like over time. Mm -hmm. Now, if we're walking in obedience to God, yeah. it's, it's the reverse of that. It reminds me of the scripture where it says like um, God will allow, I think it is like the iniquity or something like that up to the second or third generation. Mm -hmm. I, that's, that's peculiar to me. Um one of the other things would be, oh, geez, I just have, it's interesting how Jesus would say, according to your faith. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me of Proverbs, so a man thinketh he is. Mm -hmm. So do you think that it's, uh, we are, as people systematically desensitized to these things so that our will, our mind and emotion cannot be in sync? Do you think the enemy kind of has a long range shot where he set, because he, he's not a creator of anything, like I agree mm -hmm. with you, with. he just will parallel something distorted, mm -hmm. change right. it up or, or rearrange things a little bit. He's not actually unrolling anything new. He's right. veiling portions of what he has i guess according to the word the right to be able to do for those who are in disobedience right like um it reminds me of the verse also that says that they would believe a lie god would send them a strong delusion because they mm -hmm. rejected it he brought up the verse about, even if they didn't hear the word creation itself speaks of his glory his power right who he is right. so it's like in a nutshell, I'm looking and going, I'm learning so much from this, by the way. There's <laughs> going to be a part two if you're gracious enough to give us more time down oh, the road. I'm going to be digesting this for a minute. But <laughs> it, it just it makes me think from all these other things I've heard on the show and just my own kind of like experiences, right? Mm -hmm. The enemy, I think, is systematically desensitizing people so that we are out of, we're not firing on all cylinders. Our emotions yeah. are out of whack. And, and like you said, you were dealing with when you're younger, you're going and saying, oh, well, I'm trying to read. I'm trying to meditate on the word of God. And then somebody's like, ah, 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 yells at you, your boss or your wife, or somebody cuts you off in the car. And all of a sudden you flip the switch. You're a whole different person. Right. That is so true. And you started out uh, towards the beginning of this episode talking about ministers and people on the outside. They put this appearance on like, right. Oh, everything's yeah. good and, and I'm the man and I'm coaching people. But then the realness is brokenness behind closed doors. Right. That's, right. that's why I love, I love the podcast because it's challenged me to walk into a space where I'm capturing a journey of learning this and wrestling with these things in yeah. hopes also that I'm finding other people like me. And that, that season four this year, I'm 
starting to find a lot of people that are like me. And they're like, why is there this like sacred secular divide where it's like, we don't talk about it. And if you do, mm-hmm. no, no, we don't talk about it. It's like, you're an oddball. You're a black sheep. You stick yeah. out. You're going to be a target. And, and yeah. a lot of times I, the targeting is just an increase of the, the, the pain that's already there. So people they right. hide. They recluse out. Right. So you're, you're breaking some walls down for me right now. And I, I'm, oh, well, I'm you, you, if I can speak to something you says, like, why do we not talk about this in a church or why are we encouraged not to? I think part of the reason is up until recently, we have had what I consider to be a bad theology in the church about emotions. We've had a bad theology of emotions. And what I, one of the things, said, a, a, a phrase that I coined a few years ago was bad theology makes for bad psychology. Um, if you got a bad theology, it can impact you mentally and emotionally. And it really can't because I've been, I've been a victim of that in the past of bad theology led to bad psychology, meaning it impacted me negatively, mentally and emotionally in the church. And I think this came from some of the early church fathers who were steeped in Greek philosophy, where in Greek Mm -hmm. philosophy, a lot of times emotions were seen as evil. They're not Mm -hmm. to be trusted. And that came down through and, and, and a lot of the early church fathers, a lot of people don't know this, this is not to put down the church fathers, it's just fact. They were steeped in Greek philosophy before becoming Christians. And so yes, a lot, we and can so, see evidence of that in the scripture. So there were a lot of things that they brought over. And mm-hmm. we and a lot of it was rooted in Platonic thinking, separation of mind and, and body, and the emotions were bad and evil. Intellect, reason is what was important, mm-hmm. what was good. But really, when you look at the teachings of the scripture, and especially Paul, Mm. Paul says, listen, everything was tainted by sin, including the intellect, (laughs) okay, (laughs) including the intellect. In Romans chapter one, it talks about how we we gave ourselves, we were given over to perverse desires, our minds were darkened. But then when you look later on in that same book of Romans, you know, when Paul talks about all the things we did that were wrong, in Romans chapter six, he says, as you once yielded your members as instruments, and your members refers to all of the faculties of your being, as you once Mm. yielded your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, Mm. now yield those same faculties as instruments of righteousness Mm. to God. So we once yielded our members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Now we're to take those same members because of, of we have we have been we have died with Christ. We've been raised with Him. So now we're to yield our members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And your members means your body, your imagination, your emotive faculties. Every aspect of your being is to be yielded unto God, as it was once used by the enemy and used by sin and used by flesh to express yes. that which was not of God. Now it is to be used to express that which is of God. So your intimate, your intellect, your imagination, your emotions are to be shaped by the truth of God. I believe that wow. when, what Jesus said is true. You shall know the truth and the and truth shall make you free. When we understand yes. what it means to know the truth in the full biblical sense of the word to know, the idea is that the truth should shape not only what you think, but it should shape how you feel, your passions, your desire, your will. Mm. So I tell people, I said, your, your emotional life needs to be based upon the truth so that the, your emotions can also be set free in Christ. 
So in other words, they can, exp they can be what God meant for them to be. Now, that doesn't simply mean memorizing the truth. That's part of it. But it's not all the intellect, it. right? Memorizing right. Is like the intellect part. People people tend to think that information leads to transformation. It doesn't. You can have all this is, you know, when I was when I was struggling with this, I knew I knew the but my nickname when I was younger was the Human Concordance because you could ask me about scripture <laughs> and I could tell you. That's what they were. My family yeah. used to call me the Human Concordance. They said, ask ask him a wow. scripture, ask him where that scripture is at. He he'll tell you. But information did not lead to my transformation transformation wow. so you can gather a lot of information with your intellect this is why a lot of people will know a lot of scriptures and they're struggling what you have to do is inculcate that information it has to become a part of you where it shapes your thinking your emotions and your will that i believe the the author that i was reading was i think his name was robert saucy i have to go back and check that but he said that is a true renewing of the mind and i tell people mm. i say look if you're thinking differently but there's not a shift in your emotional state Mm -hmm. You haven't renewed your mind yet. You've gathered mm -hmm. information. That's good, but it needs to move over to where it is now shifting. And that takes, again, strategies to be able to do that. Um, and you, you have to know specific. And it's not like, oh, are these secret things? No, they're not secret. They're things actually within the biblical text that we could. I was, I was reading a book last night. Um, matter of fact, I have it right here. It's called um, My Beloved Brothers and Sisters. It's a scholarly book. And it's called uh, Christian Siblingship mm -hmm. and, and, and Paul. The writer, one of the things mm. he writes about is Paul's letter to Philemon and how mm. Paul was utilizing emotive terms, emotional terms, in order to affect Philemon's thinking so he would make certain decisions. So my point here is this, in this, and we could talk about this another time, but it might, is that the writers of scripture understood rhetorical strategies and devices that were used to help to encourage people to shift their thinking. I'll give you a quick illustration. You've probably read Hebrews chapter mm -hmm. 11, mm -hmm. right? The great faith hall of fame, yes. right? You're by faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Moses did this. Do you know the purpose of Hebrews chapter 11? Why it's there? Mm. Okay, so. No, Hebrews, I can't say that I don't. Hebrews chapter 11 is an example or it, is, it, it, it illustrates what is known in the, ancient, in the ancient world in antiquity as an examples list. In the ancient world, when you wanted people to, um, to embody a certain virtue, you would provide them a list of people who were respected, well-known that they knew, that they respected, who embodied those virtues. The idea of it was to effect an emotional response to that so that they would start to embody that virtue also. So in Hebrews, so Hebrews chapter 11, now you have to keep in mind, who's the book of Hebrews written to? It's written to people who are under persecution to turn away from faith in Christ. What are they being mm -hmm. exhorted to do in Hebrews chapter 11? To remain faithful, which is the, the idea of faith in Hebrew, uh, in, in mm -hmm. Hebrew and in, 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 in Greek. Peace this is faithfulness, loyalty, to remain faithful and loyal, not just believe, but to remain faithful and loyal to Christ. How does wow. the author of Hebrews seek to do it? Remember we talked about the how? He doesn't just tell them, hey, stay faithful. He gives them an example list. This was, this was known in the ancient world. And, it was, and so it was literally a device, a strategy for encouraging faithfulness. It's in the biblical text. Now, somebody go, well, why haven't we known this? Most of this information is locked up in scholarly journals 
<laughs> I fortunately yeah. got a chance to read, but I remember my mentor, Dr. Yes. Bean, he used to always say the problem with scholars is that they tend to only write to other scholars. Oh, a, a lot of this information <laughs> is yeah, not filtered true. down. Matter of fact, Dr. Bean had an organization, which my wife and I are now in charge of. It was called the Center for the Study of Biblical Research. Its purpose was to mm. take scholarly information and disseminate it to the person in the pew. Okay. Wow. So wow. I'm studying these things. Remember I told you I'm studying I'm going like, oh my God. So wait a minute. In Hebrews chapter 11 is actually a rhetorical strategy known as an example list, which is supposed to encourage. It creates encouragement. <laughs> it creates motivation. Yeah. That's dealing with the emotions. But wow. I had never been, in every book I had ever read, I had never been told that. But it was a scholar by the name of David DeSilva, one of my favorite scholars, and another scholar mm. by the name of, I believe it was Michael uh, uh uh, Crosby, who wrote about examples list that um, hmm. I, that I learned about this. David DeSova introduced me to uh, Michael Crosby's work, and I went and read Michael Crosby's work, and I went, "Oh my gosh, there are other things, there are other rhetorical, what we call rhetorical devices or strategies in the scriptures that are designed to create a shift in the emotions of the people who are hearing the text." And talking about within the originally who heard it, I have to say this real quick, and I know I'm saying a lot of stuff. The Bible originally was not written to be read. The Bible was written, originally the Bible was presented as something you hear. The ancient culture was an oral culture and an oral culture. It was a speaking and listening culture. Storytelling. Yes. Storytelling. Even the epistles were written to be read out loud. And the way the scholars have looked at it now is that the way these things are structured in the Greek they are not, we read it like we'll, we'll read Hebrews chapter 11. We go by faith, Abraham, by faith, Joshua, or by faith, Rahab, by faith, Noah. That's the way we read it. Originally, it would have been read like by faith, Abel, by faith, Noah, by faith. And it was building to this crescendo. So it would stir up emotions within the hearers to affect a change of thinking. Oh, all right. <laughs> All right, I, two two things. I, I got two things. I just we're gonna be. I could do this all night. But by the way, the black, preacher, black preachers are really good at that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying other preachers are not. I'm just saying black people really are. <laughs> black preachers are really good at stirring up emotion. We just got to be able to do it more in a direct, specific manner to affect change. <laughs> mm. But go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh my goodness. I kept having the scene from where the Apostle Paul, I think he's at the Parthenon, mm-hmm. right? And you can see he's going, he's looking at all these statues that the Greeks have to this God and that God. And then he, I could just, it's its like um, dramatic. It's alive, right? You can see him jump up and be like, listen, I'm declaring to you this statue to the unknown God, I'm making Mm -hmm. a declaration today who he is, right? He was not sitting there like, oh, by the way, hey guys, hey crowd of people. You can see Paul was very emotionally intelligent. Yes, yes, he was. He was. There are things that I teach. One of the keys to emotional intelligence with other people is being able to get rapport, create connection Mm. with others. Mm. I teach these in classes in corporations. Um, there's wow. a class I teach called Leading with Emotional Intelligence. And one of the things we say is, if you're going to lead people, you got to create rapport. you got to create connection with them. Mm-hmm. And we said that one of the ways you have to do that is you have sometimes you have to flex or change or be a flexible 
in your own communication style. We all have our own style of communicating. Mm. If mm. you want to connect with another person, you've got to communicate in their style, not according to your style. Okay. That's important. Wow. Paul did this. The apostle Paul did this. Paul did. said to the Jew, I become a Jew to the Greek. Yeah. I become a Greek. I become all things to all to those without law. I become as one without law yet. I'm not without law under Christ. <laughs> I become all things to all men that I might win some in the Greco-Roman world. This was known as adaptability. It's mm. it was an actual strategy. Yes. Paul employed it, and, and, and there's a way to look at it also from a Jewish perspective. He employed it in oh order goodness. to reach other people. So when, when people go, are these things in scripture? This is not scriptural. I go, you don't understand the history and the culture. You don't understand what you're, you, you don't, you're not looking in depth at what's mm. being said in the history and culture of the day. Like examples list, that was part of the culture. Adaptability as a speaker, that was part of the culture. Speakers would use emotion. They would, uh, speakers would make what was known as appeals. They would make appeals to three things, to logic, mm. to character, and to emotions. It's in Greek, mm -hmm. it is logos, ethos, and pathos. We teach these things today. Uh, Aristotle was the one who originally codified all of this. When you look in the mm. biblical text, when you look in the Old Testament, when you look in the New Testament, you see the writers of scripture making appeals to logic, logos, character. They talk about themselves and their character, why they can be trusted. Paul saying things mm. like, I was, I was asleep. I mean, I was, I was, I, I've gone without food. I've been beaten three times of the Jews. I was beaten. He's making right. a, you know, he's making yes. an, a, yeah, he's making an appeal to his character. Yes. That's what we call that an ethos appeal. Um, when wow. he says, uh, uh, he, he said, and then when he talks to like the Galatians and he goes, oh, you foolish Galatians. Most scholars say, I believe it's Galatians chapter four. They say Galatians chapter four is one of the most emotional passages within the scripture. Paul mm -hmm. is very emotional, in, but he's emotional on purpose in order mm -hmm. to effect a change. So my point is saying is, is that there are actually strategies within the biblical text. I, I can tell you one in from the book of Deuteronomy. Mm. So in Deuteronomy chapter, and if I'm going too long, you just tell me to stop because <laughs> I know I'm going all year. <laughs> I'm, for I, I, a I'm giving fair, you these yeah. examples so you can say, okay, he's not crazy. So in Deuteronomy <laughs> chapter seven, um, uh, God tells Israel that they're going to face nations that are greater than them and that are, that are stronger than them, Majors, the bigger. And he says to them, I don't want you to be afraid when you face these nations. Because remember, Israel wandered around for 40 years in the wilderness because when God brought them to the land, he sent the spies. The spies came back and said, we can't do it. There's giants in the land. And people say, well, let's make a captain and go back into Egypt. And they end up 40 years in the wilderness. So God, as they're, you know, Moses is saying his farewell, he tells the people, when you come to this land and you see nations bigger than you, he says to them, do not be afraid. Now, mm -hmm. he doesn't just leave it there. He actually tells them how not to be afraid in the next verse. Now, I only knew this when I started studying these things from a psychological and neuroscientific. I went, oh, my gosh. And then I actually started, studied it and said, yep, this is what this word is referring to. He next says to them, when you see the nations that are bigger than you, do not be afraid. Then he says this, you shall well remember what the Lord your God did unto Pharaoh oh, yes. and to all Egypt 
the great signs and miracles and wonders that your eyes saw. He said, you shall remember. The Hebrew word is zakar, which means to bring something back to mind. Yes. To, 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 to basically to remember it, to relive it. You bring, now here's the thing. You bring something back to mind in order to be moved by it. What you bring to mind is to shape your behavior. So when he says to Israel, you are to remember, he says, don't be afraid. How does he tell them not to be afraid? Call to mind everything that you saw God do. What is that going to create within them? Confidence in their God. Wow. So when he said, don't be afraid, he wasn't saying, okay, you're going to feel fear, but don't act afraid. You know, people say, feel the fear and, and do it anyway. I said, okay, that's true. You can do that. It's really hard to feel the fear and do it anyway. <laughs> I have a saying, I said, you can feel the fear and do it anyway, or you can get rid of the fear and do it even better. So <laughs> my thing is, you don't, you don't have to live in fear. And God tells Israel, mm. call to mind what I have done for you, all that you saw. Remember the plagues, remember the frogs, remember the darkness, remember the sea splitting. Call all of that to mind so that you will be shaped by what you saw, my power at work, that'll put your confidence in me and you won't be afraid. That is a strategy faith. that God gave, yes, faith. He gave them a practical way of putting their faith in God. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. It reminds me of David. I, I forget where this is in the Old Testament, but he's out with his men, and there's a raid while they're gone, and their women, their children. First Samuel chapter thirty. Yes, there is, and uh, David comes with men, and there's rumor of his own men, his own dudes talking yes. about, "Oh, we're going to stone him. We're going to get rid yeah. of him." And David does something very peculiar. That most men don't do today. Mm -hmm. He goes and gets the ephod and he goes and inquires of the Lord. Like, mm -hmm. like he's like, God, you've always been with me. I've been on the run. I fought the bear. I fought the lion, Goliath. Who could forget that, right? He's King Saul's chasing me. He's the anointed, but really I'm the anointed and I won't take it until you make it evident. And I'm still on the run in the wilderness, but you never left me. So, man, I'm, you got me well, on cloud nine with this because- this is important for me yeah. and, and for everyone who's going to hear it, because this is critical. Well, can, battle, I, can, I, can I go back to that yes. story of, of David in 1 Samuel? Yes, yes, yes. You're, you're quoting one of my favorite passages I love to teach on, 1 Samuel chapter 30, Ooh. verses 1 through 6, is what you're referring to when the, the, yes. it's, it's when the Amalekites came and burned down Ziklag. Yes. And his men, they, 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 so imagine this, they come back, everything's burned to the ground. Their mm -hmm. wives are gone, their children are gone. And it said the mm -hmm. men began, all of them began to weep for grief. Mm. Understandable. Mm. It's a normal human reaction, right? Then it says, because of their grief, they became angry and they began to speak of stoning David. So now they're starting to blame David for what has happened. And it says that David was afraid. And I always say, well, if, mm. my, if my men spoke of, spoke of stoning me, I'd be afraid too. So they talked about mm. killing him. Now, you, you talked about the ephod, but there's one crucial piece that happens right before that. It said, David was afraid, but then the next verse says, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Yes. Yes. Then he saw, and I always tell people, I said, notice what it yes. says. It does not say, and the Lord came and encouraged David. It says, David encouraged himself. 
in the Lord his God. Or you, you can read encourage or strengthen, but he strengthened himself, which, which, and I use, I teach this, one of the principles we teach is that your emotions are not determined by what happens outside of you. Your emotions are determined by what happens within you. And so David encourages himself in the midst of a situation where his men are speaking of killing him, the village is burned down. In the midst of all of this, David mm. encourages himself because there's no one left to encourage him. David changed his emotional state in the mm. midst of the devastation. It enabled him to make the right decision. Remember we said before, when you are in negative emotional states, it can cause you to make the wrong decisions, right? Yes. You, you, yes. your, your creativity gets shut down. Your resourcefulness gets shut down. David's men, because of the negative emotional state they were in, wanted to kill him. Mm -hmm. David, it says, strengthened himself in the Lord. Then he sought the Lord. And the Lord said, he said, shall I pursue? God said, pursue, you will recover all. If you read the rest mm -hmm. of the story, David pursued. They recovered everything plus more. Now, yes. here's the thing. To me, that is a great example of emotional intelligence and leadership. But here's the thing. Think about this. Wow. If David's men had killed him out of the negative emotional state that they were in, they would have lost everything that they later recovered. They never would have recovered it had they killed David. But because wow. David strengthened himself, changed his emotional state, sought the Lord... That enabled them to recover everything. So this is why I believe it is so important for us to know how to manage our emotional well-being, because it determines there, there's a there's a there's a quote. I was going to say it determines our quality of life. There's a quote from a psychologist uh, who passed away last year. His name is Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. He um, was a psychologist. He he was the originator of the concept of flow. Um, like you know, when you when we talk about being in the flow. You know, athletes are in the flow or in the zone. He studied that. He studied it scientifically. He said in his book, Flow, it's called the book is called Flow, The Psychology of Optimal Experience. He said people, he said the people who learn to control their inner experience will be able to determine the quality of their lives. That right there in a nutshell, that's the work that I do. It's helping people to control their inner experience so that they're able to determine the quality of their lives. David, in that story in, in 1 Samuel, controlled his inner experience and it affected the quality of his life because they were able, he got clear-headed enough to seek God and his leadership led not only to the recovery of everything, but they got even more. But had his men killed him, out of lost anger, out of misplay, they would have lost it all and never would have recovered anything. So do our, do our, 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 oh. are our emotions important to the quality of life that we live? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm talking about as Christians there, it is important to the, to the quality of our Christian life. Just, just because I'm like, I'm skipping to these places in my brain where it was like, <laughs> that's on the back burner because God, I know someday you're going to make sense of it. Right. And we're, we've covered a lot of these tonight. But it, there's some personal things. Like when I think of like the discipline of the Lord, like, mm -hmm. like the Lord disciplines those who he loves. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that is supposed to mean, like from biblical standpoint or from like just a very understood standpoint. But I know like personally for me, mm -hmm. 
I have gotten to a place where I know what the words, and this isn't always, <laughs> this is a couple times where I've had this connection that, that you're kind of putting words to and helping me to understand some of these pockets of, of, of our life, like him working in us and through us to cause his will to come about. I, it didn't happen overnight and it's not happening overnight for me. It is a process, but mm-hmm. There's times where I'll know I had read and knew the scripture said, like, don't look at a woman with lust in your heart. You committed adultery already. It's like, then you're riding around like, oh, geez, right. That's really bad. You know, this is going to be hard, right? I can't go to the gym this week, guys, you know, or Mm -hmm. whatever. Cognitively in, 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 in our mind, we know, but then aligning our will and our emotion all mm-hmm. in sync mm-hmm. and there's certain things where in my private life i knew like it was like a flash in my mind this is what the scripture says mm-hmm. and then there was a check of my will my motive mm-hmm. and because I, there's times where i didn't listen and i understood there was moments where i was alone with god and it was just re-registering like you, you didn't you weren't obedient in this little thing like, mm-hmm. like i've been bearing along and and you need to learn that that's not a good outcome that i it actually would start to like make sense to me become alive to me as like god your will not mine and, and i'd say stuff like every time i get the ball i wreck this like i i'm not <laughs> me doing it my way is not working <laughs> right? mm-hmm. i've been married seven years and my wife's in the other room probably can hear this and is giggling as i'm even talking because it's so true mm-hmm. and then my emotion do I want to please God? Do I want his outcome in my life? It's just so weird to hear you say it from like, mm-hmm. like uh, reversing the systematic desensitization from the enemy in the world and actually plugging right. in realistic uh, like terms and, and training strategies, plans that you can mm-hmm. actually start to go. I'm sharpening in this way in order right. for this to be the outcome because if in my experience and i don't know much but but when we want to serve god when christ is like we're not just like oh i'm a christian and i'm doing everything the world's doing when we're really trying to be holy as he is holy trying to be set apart failing terribly mm-hmm. in my case i feel like man you shouldn't have said that that hurt that person mm-hmm. and it's like like, it's like my will wants to be flipped into like, I don't want to ever do that again. And, right. and then it's like the trauma of if it happens again. And I think the enemy then plays on the mental note. Oh, you didn't get it right last week. So what, right. Make, right? And this is the battle that me as a man sitting here talking to another man in Christ, this is right. the stuff I deal with and I'm not alone. It's, right. it's been like right. hands down an honor to hear you share your heart and your, your research, your, your experience of what God has called you to. It's one body, one spirit, many members, diversity of roles that we play. And I think that's something else I really like to talk with you about that down the road too, because mm-hmm. the old way of doing things isn't working out. Yeah, <laughs> and God you know, is showing us that. <laughs> man, I got to tell you, the Lord spoke that to me one time. When wow. once years ago, when I was studying all of this, and I had come to a lot of in- insight. It was working for me. It was working for other people. But I still had a little bit of doubt of, God, is this, is this right? Is this the right path? And I was struggling with it. And one night I went and I sat on this bench where, whereby, where I used to live, this little gazebo. 
And I sat there and the Lord just spoke to me. It was a powerful moment, powerful. But he spoke to me. And basically the message was, you are on the right track. Then I heard this. There are going to be people who will come to you like Nicodemus in the night. Pastors, many people, because they're struggling, because the old answers will no longer be working. He literally spoke that to my heart. Fast forward a couple of decades later, this is what we see happening. People coming going, I read my Bible. I pray. I fast. I I had people pray over me. I had people cast things out of me, and I'm still struggling. I've had people come to me and say, do I have a demon? And I go, no, you're just walking in the flesh. You need to renew your mind. And they go, and they look relieved. They go, really? Because they're believers, and they've been told they have a demon. I go like, no, you don't have a demon. And the reason they've been told it's a demon is because they said, I've tried, and 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 I can't overcome it. And I go, because you're trying to overcome it either at a behavioral level You're trying to overcome it at an intellectual level. You haven't dealt with the emotional level. And sometimes dealing with the emotional level means I need to deal with stuff. I need to deal with my stuff from my past. I need to get that cleared up. I I mean, I need to deal with um, outdated beliefs. I work with a guy, uh, Mm. because one of the things I do is marital coaching. We call it, it's coaching that we do with couples off the things that I've learned. Mm. And part of that is teaching them to deal with their emotions. And I worked with a guy one time who, long story short, he was having some problems. He was, he was doing some things in his marriage that was causing his marriage to fall apart, right? So we met, he and I, we had been working together up to that point, but I said, you and I need to meet one-on-one. Come to find out what it was, he had a belief on the inside of him that said, there's something wrong with me. People always leave me. And he had had this belief since he was a kid. He had experienced it with his parents. He had experienced it with one of his brothers. He had experienced it with an old girlfriend who left him for another family member. So he had this belief that there was something wrong with him. So his idea was before my wife, because he would say, I don't understand why she's with me. She's pretty. She's beautiful. Why is she with me? So his thinking was eventually she's going to leave me. So when his wife would go out with her girlfriend, she was a godly woman. He would go, where are you going? He goes, well, with my girlfriends. He goes, why are you dressed like that? You don't dress like that for me. Why are you looking like that? Why are you putting on that cologne or that, that perfume? He would, so he would, but it was the fear. He had never recognized it. So when we were talking and there's a process of, of asking questions to help to under, un, unearth this stuff, we came to that. He said, oh my gosh. He said, because part of the process was, I, I said, I said, how are you, how do you feel when you're in there? He says, I just feel like, I don't know. I just like, I don't understand why. I said, well, stay with that feeling for a second. And I go, in order to feel this way, what do you have to believe is true? And he stopped for a moment and he went, there's something wrong with me. That's why people leave me. And he, he, tears start coming. He said, I never realized that before. So we changed that belief. We reestablished it with the truth of God. Part of it was finding his honor in God. We, we established his honor in God. One session, I'm not kidding you, one session, it changed his life. His marriage turned around. His wife testified to it. When they were coming to me for marital coaching, they were sent to me by their pastor, who's a friend of mine. And uh, I later interviewed them. And I said, when you first came to me on a scale of one to, tw- to 10, how bad was your marriage? And the wife said, 20. <laughs> 
I said, really? She goes, she said, she said, we were on the edge and I was getting ready to push him off. <laughs> and I met with them for a year mm. and worked with them, worked through a lot of emotion, taught them how to deal with their own emotions. He had that breakthrough, mm. totally turned around, everything around. Mm. And I said to them the very first day we met, because wow. I believe this is from the Lord. I said, you guys are going to be working with married, married couples. And they looked at me like I had two heads. They're like, we don't even like each other. And you're talking about us, you know, well, she said, I don't like him right now. I love him, but I don't like him. Today, this is like five years later. They are the head of the marriage ministry at their church. <laughs> they had a marriage conference. They invited me to be their guest speaker. And they're doing a marriage retreat in Hawaii, I think this year. And, uh, wow. and I told him, I said, why wasn't I invited to that one? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's the one I really want to go to. My will's involved, my emotions involved, <laughs> intellectually, I want to be there. <laughs> but it oh, was, it was changing you. at the emotional level, at the belief level, mm. and finding out what was wrong and making that shift. A lot of people mm. are doing things, Christians, that they don't want to do. And they're told to stop doing it. And they're trying, but they don't understand. They, they are living in Romans 7. The good that I would, I do not. The evil that I would not, that is what I'm doing. Who will deliver me? And people are telling them, well, Jesus will. And it's true. And I tell people, I said, listen, the tools are just instruments and means by which God can work to affect your renewing of your mind. I say, but he is the source of the healing. He is the source of the transformation. The tools are just means by which he can work. But they are told, you need to stop doing this. You need to stop doing it. And they usually are told it at the behavioral level or the cognitive, intellectual level. And I'll say this one last thing. I was praying one day about this, about temptation. Actually, there's two things I'd like to say, if you don't mind. <laughs> one is, well, I was thinking about temptation. And I believe the Lord showed me. He says, I was studying this one day. I was, I was thinking about Jesus' temptation. And I was meditating on the temptation. I think it was Mark 4 or Luke 4. And the Lord starts showing me, he says, when my people are tempted by the enemy, Satan tempts you at the intellectual and the emotional level. Thoughts to the mind, which stirs up emotions, right? He said, but when my people respond to the temptation, they only respond intellectually. And they leave the emotions out. This is why we struggle, because our thoughts are going one way. Our will may be going, I want to do what's right but our emotions are going the opposite direction. And Jesus enunciated a principle. He says a house divided against itself will fall. You can't stand. People, sometimes when I teach them, they say, oh, well, aren't emotions, aren't emotions unreliable? We've always been taught emotions are unreliable. You can't count on your emotion. I go, if that's true, why is that the number one weapon of the enemy against us? Think about it. What does James say about temptation? Every man, when he is tempted, is drawn away by his own King James says lust, but the word actually in Greek is desire. He's drawn away by his own desire. Every temptation has a feeling, emotion, or desire involved. If you take the feeling, emotion, and desire out of a temptation, out of a, out of a temptation, it ceases to be a temptation. Yeah. If you came to me and said, Mike, want a cigarette? Wouldn't mean nothing to me. I don't, I've never smoked. If you said, Mike, you want some crack? Wouldn't mean anything to me. Because I've never done drugs. If you came to me and said, Mike, want some dryers, French vanilla ice cream? Now we got a problem. <laughs> now I'm like, oh, get behind me. <laughs> you know, Mike, want a glazed donut? 
Now we got a problem. Why? Oh, because okay. there is emotion and desire yeah. linked to that. There is none linked to cigarettes, cocaine, alcohol. You could throw alcohol in front of me all day long. And, I, I, and I'm not saying it's wrong to drink alcohol. I'm saying I don't drink. But, but if you were saying, Mike, come on, come on, let's get drunk. It would hold no appeal to me whatsoever. But if you hold a box of wow. glazed donuts in front of me, now I got to walk in the spirit. I got I to apply <laughs> some tools to walk away from that. You, you get the point that I'm making? Emotions. It's so much so. Satan so. utilizes our own emotions against us. That's why I told people, I go, people go, oh, they're unreliable. Mm -hmm. I go, yet every time you're tempted, and if you're tempted in the same thing over and over, it's funny how reliable those emotions are. It's a matter yes. of training. If you train, unreliable emotions are emotions that have not been trained. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Tell tell my listeners where they can find you. Like, do you have a show? Do you do you have a website? You... We we actually are going to be starting a podcast pretty soon called um, nice. for the Christian community. I believe we're going to call it the Flourishing Life, and okay. it's, we're going to be talking about all of these things. I did a whole series at our church called um, on we called it Success and Prosperity: A Kingdom Perspective, where we talked about the concept of flourishing. Um, and wow. looked at, you know, what does the world say? What are some aberrant teachings in the body of Christ? What does the Bible actually say? You know, um, so we're, we're, I'm looking to start soon. Um, I need to actually uh, set a date for it, but we're going to be doing a podcast for the Christian community called um, The Flourishing Life. We do trainings. Um, there is a training I, we have called uh, Sanctified Emotions, which is hmm. emotional intelligence for Christians. Uh, we, we actually have a a coaching certification program called new creation coaching where we certify mm -hmm. people to be coaches to work with christians and we train them in the different wow. tools and stuff that i use yeah we created that we've done two of those so far and then there's another training we do called patterns for renewing the mind which is another certification mm -hmm. people can find me primarily the same way you did go on facebook look me up uh on you know mike davis um they can type i think it's www hey. uh-huh Mike, I think I lost you. You cut out. Yeah, can we both did for a second. Yeah, I can hear you now. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Okay, yes, you're back. Yeah, you're back. Okay, yeah. sorry about that. Yeah, but they can reach me on Facebook. Um, just look up Mike Davis. Uh, we have a YouTube channel called uh, KIC TV. I think we're freezing up again. Can you hear me? We froze up one more time. Can you hear me now? Yes, it's, it's okay. in and out, and in and out, yeah. Uh, maybe it's telling us we need to quit. But we have a YouTube channel called KIC TV. It's, it's keeping it in context TV with Mike Davis, where I do a lot of biblical teaching um, on different topics. And we look at it within historical, cultural context. We look at the Greek, the Hebrew, ancient Near Eastern culture. But we make it interesting. I tell people, I don't do boring. We make it interesting <laughs> and fun to learn. Um, and uh, so we're also going to be starting another YouTube channel and podcast where we're talking, where we're going to be talking about emotions, renewing the mind. Um, success from a biblical perspective, uh, which I like to use the term flourishing, like, because uh, I'm a big believer in that is that success is not really something that you are to pursue It's something that you live. It's a way of living rather than a way than rather than something you pursue. Um, yeah. And it has to do with what I call the flourishing life that God wants us to flourish, but it has to do more with how we live than what we than what we acquire, you know, so. Mm -hmm. Um, wow. But yeah, they can reach me on Facebook as the, or they can write me. I'll, I'll give you my email address. It's uh, MLD training. So M is in Mike, L is in lion, D is in dog. MLD training at msn.com. 
Yeah. It was an honor. It was an absolute Thank honor. you. This is fun. Love, yeah, I'd love to have you back for a part two uh, in the spring, uh, beginning of summer this year. And, and that's it. That's the show, everybody. I know this was edifying because it's edifying for me. If you <laughs> learn something, if this caused you to laugh and just, just think different about the way that you're living and what God's word and, and the tools he's given us then I want you to share this with a friend, a family member. Share this with your past coming to you from southeastern Pennsylvania. God bless America, and goodbye. <laughs> thank you for letting me indulge myself i know i go off there absolutely <laughs> let, let me call my wife real quick i just want okay. her to wave and say hi to you hey princess princess honey princess oh she might be sleeping she must be sleeping <laughs> oh yeah sleeper you're right huh yeah, it's 10 o'clock. Yeah. Um, I'm three hours ahead of you. Right, yeah, right. But we've been married seven years. And, oh, cool. Um, my my son's, he turns six on Friday. Oh. So, so we got a little, little dude, first first year in kindergarten this year. That's been rough. Um, but my wife, she's actually been in the country for, I like to say, 12, almost 13 years. Mm -hmm. uh, so she, she's actually from the Philippines. Wow. I don't know if you can see that. That's a picture of me and her. I don't oh, know if yeah. there's a glare on it or not. I can um, see it. That's, that's at a restaurant. That was Italian restaurant. Me like, <laughs> um, but it, it's fascinating because, you know, like I said, I grew up outside of Philadelphia, and I just knew like this culture, you know, like did you eat yet and how you doing, right? <laughs> just, just this culture, and she was a shock. She was wow. such a shock. Wow. Like, like just, I'm like what you live how and you carry yourself in what way and one of the things that attracted me to her so much and one of the things she says about me is about honestly because i have i have twins that are they're going to be 16 years old hmm. out of wedlock you know i was i was young i was very young i, think I was 18 almost turning 19 when we had riley and sienna fraternal twins <clears throat> and um very worldly, worldly relationship, worldly everything. But she, what God has been teaching me through my wife, like I wasn't allowed in her mother's house to like mm. in, until we were engaged. You wow. talk about a culture shock. Like for me, I'm like, well, I respect it because I got my heart broken and I'm like, I'm gonna, you know, I was, I was celibate for a little while and you know, coming to the Lord at that 24 years old. So I started mm. to change, had some mistakes, but. But I started to change and just go, there's something more. I gotta, I gotta get this right. You know, I don't wanna I don't wanna die in all of this. But but anyway, she's she's been um she's been quite a rock and mm. uh, a challenge and just just causing me to forcing me to see things differently, Mike. 
because wow. she's un-Americanized. I tell people she's un-Americanized. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? I'm like, you know if you know. There's <laughs> <laughs> the time we don't know ourselves. We don't right, know right. we're American, you know? And um, that, that's that's been such a game changer. But, there, but there's so many loose ends, especially biblically and like from a man who's terribly flawed, like where I'm at and what I know God wants me to be, be holy as he is holy. I know I'm not living holy. I know I still am wrestling and dealing. Like I smoke cigars. My wife mm-hmm. hates it. And that's one of the like <laughs> the last frontiers where it's like, I don't have a problem with drinking. I never intervened, like did hard drugs or nothing like mm-hmm. that. You know, I partied when I was younger, but I'm like, that's so hard to quit these smoking these little cigars. And you're saying stuff on this episode tonight where I'm like, my will, my, you know, my, my intellect it, it all like but does all this stuff has to line up and i'm like why are we not taught to think that way mm. <laughs> what so that's why i say things like systematic desensitization yeah yeah yep. it's like some secret back door to christianity to the, <laughs> the real christians who actually got it right and then there's all of us out here who need help yeah <laughs> and I'm, just, I'm, I'm telling you that man. that was that's me crazy. i when I started, I was like, why are we not told? And then yeah. I realized it's because nobody else knew. We didn't know, you know, yeah. and the way, like I said, hmm. we, we had a, we've had a bad theology about emotion. Matter of fact, there yes. was a guy named uh, Martin Seligman. He was the past president of um, the American Psychological Association. When he became okay. the president, he, he gave his inaugural address and he said, mm-hmm. In psychology, we've been studying maladaptive emotions from almost the beginning of psychology, meaning we've studied anger and rage and depression. He said, we just studied all the negative emotions. He said, we need to start studying positive emotions and the impact that they have and how do we nurture. And I was surprised when I heard this and wait a minute, psychology, that that hasn't been their, that wasn't their focus. So that began began a whole movement in psychology called positive psychology that's been going on now for about 25, 30 years. Okay, I remember when it started. And when I heard him say that, I went, that's the same problem we've had in Christianity. We have studied the negative. If you, when I, I I started collecting books by Christians, by Christian therapists Mm -hmm. and psychologists, most of them dealt with their things like how to get over anger, how to get over lust, how to get over Mm -hmm. depression. There was nothing about how do you cultivate, or I shouldn't say there was nothing. There was very little on how do you cultivate joy? How do you cultivate peace? How do you, and then there was, there was absolutely nothing on how do you utilize your emotions to change your emotions? There was nothing on that. And I'll be honest with you, there's still really nothing on that. that that's, we've gotten better in the body of Christ. I've been tracking it for the past 30 years. Mm-hmm. We've, gotten, we've gotten better. We were talking mm-hmm. about emotions now in the church. We're talking about things we struggle with. But I, st- I said, but we still got some catching up to do. There, there are things yes. that I know I do. And I, I'm not a therapist. I tell people, I said, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. I'm a coach. That's what, and I said, I'm a pastor and I'm a coach. But I have actually trained therapists in what I do. Because they're like, what are you doing? How are you? So I've had therapists come to my training so that they can learn my tools yeah. and strategies that I've learned from other people. Um, and because they, and wow. I, I, I have, I have a couple of friends who are counselors. They're, they're licensed counselors. Ooh, and, uh, me, 
Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't mean to keep you, man. I know you got to go. No, no, no. I, I'm I'm hanging on to it. Like I'm loving it. It's it's one of those things. Like I I've been up since four a.m. So forgive me. me I'm too. yawning a little bit, but I have off for the next five days. That's okay. why I was like totally cool with this late interview. Um, yeah, I I've been doing I, a training this past week, and, and we get up at four in the morning. We start at four thirty. Yeah. So I'm with you because <laughs> yes. I got to go to bed. But I was going to say I've I've got a, I got two friends who are who have master's degrees in 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 counseling. Okay. They they I have another friend who has a master's degree in counseling. All three of them told me mm. that they were not really taught how to help people to change. They spent all I said you but you spent all this money and they go I know but I was not two of them I have personally trained. And they get the intellect. They get intellect 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 from yeah. school. My but then one the of my will and the emotion yeah, one of, one of my friends is a really close. He's a pastoral. Uh, he, he's 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 in charge of pastoral care at a church in Minnesota. Okay. And he told me, he said, mm. Mike, he said, uh, what you and Bob, Bob was my partner, and this guy who trained me. He said, what you and Mike taught me. Ooh. He said, we didn't learn any of that in my class. Mm. He said, we didn't mm -hmm. learn any of that. And I go, really? I said, well, what did you learn? Yeah. He said, we were taught models of change, but we were not taught how to help people to change. I went, you're kidding me. I'm working with a young lady now who's who's a therapist. Wow. She, uh, when I first met her, she saw me on somebody's interview. She said, can I contact you? I said, yeah. So we talked and I showed her a simple tool to help people release negative emotions. She was like, oh my God. She said, you just given me something to help my clients. She said, because sometimes I work with my clients. All this emotion gets stirred up, but then I don't know what to do with all these emotions that get stirred up. So they leave my session with all these emotions. And I was like, oh, that's terrible. Cause I never, when I have clients, I always tell them, I say, I will never leave you worse than when you came in. Never. I do not do that. I've heard that there are a lot of therapists who do that, though. They'll stir up all these emotions. Then they go, well, our time is up. I'll see you next week. <laughs> and I went, take oh, a double dose of your medicine for the yeah. next three days so that you don't, you know, man, I'm telling you. And, and, I, and I, I respect therapists, but some of them, what I realized, they didn't have the tools. So I shared with this young lady, I said, let me show you a simple tool. She shared mm. it with her client. She said, she said, my client mm. called me back, said, man, this is, this has made such a difference. I thank God for this. She said, when I get depressed now, I know how to release it, let it go. I, I don't get stirred up. And mm -hmm. she, and the therapist was thanking me. She said, thank you. You've shown me a way of helping my clients. And now, so she wants to take the training with me. She says, let me know when you're wow. doing a training. I got another therapist who wants to join the training. So, so, so what does that training look like if I was like, I mean, we're three hours difference is it's online, obviously, right? Yeah, or we do it in person only or uh, one of them is what we call a hybrid approach. It is okay. part okay. of it's online. That's the patterns for renewing your mind. Part of it's online. Mm -hmm. Part of it, it's we, we meet face to face. Well, we weren't doing it during the pandemic. So we actually I didn't even do the trainings during the pandemic because we were doing so many other ones. Um, uh, the, the other two are online, though, and we normally do them. So the sanctified emotions one which is for your personal and then the, mm -hmm. the coach certification, which is for working with other people. Um, mm -hmm. Those two are done wow. all, all online. They're all online. Oh, we, usually, okay. we usually meet uh, once a week for about two hours in the evening um, and you get practices. Then we sometimes we do extra sessions on the weekend where we meet together mm -hmm. and we talk about you know, how's it working for you? If it's not working right, like there are coaches that I still uh, work with in terms of, um, like they'll get, they go, Hey, Mike, I'm working with this person. And mm -hmm. shall I approach this? Cause I've been doing this. Mm. I've been doing the coaching part for over 20 years. I got like 20 years experience. Wow. 
And so I go, okay, did you try this? Did you do this? They go, no, I didn't. I say, okay, try that. Let me know how it works. So I consult with them, Mm -hmm. you know? um, And so we do that too. So I walk with my coaches. Some of them are, they've been coaches for a while. Some of them are new. So I go, I'll walk with you. You know, I'll I'll hold your hand for as long as you need, as long as I think it's necessary to help you get started, uh, help you in working Mm -hmm. with people. Because I tell them, I say, once you learn the skills, that doesn't mean you're an expert. That just means you know the skills. Becoming an expert takes time, you know. Training it, the training it, portion. Yeah, <laughs> I said just because because our 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 mm. coaches our coaches training is over a fifteen week period, so we meet oh, once wow. a week. Yeah, and you get about two hours. That's two hours yep. of the actual time, and then the extra meetings we have. But because I want to make sure people are thoroughly trained, but you get trained in actual tools to help people to change. So we show them how to do it. We show them how to ask good questions, how to listen. What we're getting ready to do next is create a, because uh, we've had a lot of success with helping married couples. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to do a training on how to work, how to coach married couples. Um, so, because a friend of mine, one of the coaches I trained, she said, are you going to do a training on how to work with couples? I went, no. I said, the training I gave you guys, she says, no, 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 you do something different. I hear you talking about it. She said, and I thought about it, I went, yeah, I do kind of do some things differently there. So, <laughs> but we, but in the trainings, we talk about That's two awesome. things. We talk about principles and patterns. We talk about the principles of change, and then we show you the patterns or the strategies to help people change. Mm. And we do it all from a biblical perspective, I have as well a as an, it was a, as a neuroscientific <laughs> perspective. What did you say? No, I said I have a lot to learn. <laughs> it's fun, though. I got to tell you, I thank God. I, I'll say this in closing. I thank God for the path you took. It was difficult in the early years. I didn't know if I was going down the wrong path, but what it made me do will study very hard and in depth. Now I get people mm-hmm. coming to me having questions. They go, well, what about mm-hmm. this? What about this? How does this fit with scripture? I go, oh, okay, let's, okay, let's talk about that. And they go like, oh my God, you really, I've had, I had a, I had a psychologist mm-hmm. one time who was struggling with being a psychologist because he was a Christian. And he said, he said, my family condemns me for being a psychologist because wow. he said, I'm not trusting God. So I sat down with him at lunch one day. Let me share with you what God shared with me. And he started crying. And he said, you've helped me in 30 minutes more than I've been helped in a long time. He said, just by sharing your journey. So I look at what I've been through that God is now, he's now using it to help other people. Yeah. So I'm very grateful. Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's nothing I can say other than... Okay. If you oh, tell me to, Rod, I'll keep doing it. <laughs> oh, that feels pretty good. Yeah, I like I'm it doing this because right? Rod said I should keep doing it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll sign that one on the Yeah. <laughs> well, man, no, you're man, a I, blessing. You're well, a blessing. you are too. Thank you for having me on your podcast.